Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, open them to James chapter 1. Last week, we began a study of this book of the Bible, and I'll remind you that the half-brother of Jesus is the one who wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There are at least four half-brothers mentioned in the New Testament that belonged, well, they were kin to Jesus. Now, Jesus had, didn't have an earthly father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But Mary and Joseph had other children, regardless of what other not what other uh, religions say or faiths, whatever you want to call them, she had other children and even some girls. We don't know the girls' names, but we do know that Jesus had half-brothers and sisters, and, then, and none of them believed in him as the Messiah until after the resurrection. And 1 Corinthians tells us that they were among the believers that Jesus, re- that, or the, among the people that Jesus appeared to But as you look at last week and we talk about falling into trials, when you fall into trials, they cause problems. Wouldn't you agree? I don't know anybody in here who signed up for testing and trials this week, right? And even if that was a class, I wouldn't take it because it's a required course. You're going to go through one of them or two of them or more. And when you do, you sometimes don't know what to do. You, You don't have the wisdom to know what to do. Listen to what James says in verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let, but let him ask in faith, not with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Dwight Eisenhower, during World War II, during one of the campaigns in Europe, asked one of his soldiers, officers, for a brief assessment of where they stood in regard to the enemy. And the young officer quickly said, Sir, picture a donut, and we are the whole." In other words, we're surrounded. And when you experience trials, sometimes you fall into them and you're surrounded by them. You may remember the television show, I'm not sure it's still on, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And one of those, they had two or three lifelines that they could depend upon to help them get past a certain answer so that they could achieve more money in the process. And one of those lifelines was phoning a friend. And this person had a relationship with this person. The person in the, in the, who was on the, on the TV had a relationship with a person that they would call, and supposedly they were a smart person, would help them get the answer right. Well, today, you have somebody that you can call when, and it's not Ghostbusters, by the way. <laughs> who are you going to call? It's not Ghostbusters. You can call upon the Lord. This generation we live in is the most prolific of all generations. We have more college graduates today than we've ever had before, and yet 
less wisdom than we've ever had before. That was a nice way to put it. We travel farther. We fly higher than any previous generation. We accumulate, accumulate more data. The computer age is advancing at almost the speed of light. Knowledge is increasing. Wisdom is decreasing. Many lives are in shambles. Suicide rates are higher. Morals are at a record low. Divorce is rampant. And while we possess great knowledge, we're missing wisdom. Albert Einstein said the difference between genius and stupidity is that genius has its limits. I wish I could say Albert Einstein was a wise man. I don't believe he was because I don't believe he knew the Lord by all indications. He never came to the place of receiving Christ. Now, I don't know that. I'm not God, but just some of the statements that he made. He had a vast amount of knowledge, and we even use his name as referencing other people who are smart. They're an Einstein. But you don't have wisdom just because you have knowledge. I want to begin by talking about the search for wisdom, our deficiencies. In verse 5, it says, but if any of you lacks wisdom. Let me give you some wisdom from Larry, the cable guy. A day without sunshine is like night. Profound, isn't it? On the other hand, you have different fingers. Here you go. He who laughs last thinks slowest. Now come around. Y'all got that? (laughs) The early bird may get the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. Support bacteria. It's the only culture some people have. Clear conscience is usually a sign of a bad memory. Eagles may soar, but weasels don't get sucked into jet engines. This is the best one, and I'm done. Light travels faster than sound. That's why some people appear bright until you hear them speak. (laughs) James says, if. Now, the word if here really means sense, that it's going to happen. It's a passive tense verb, which means it's going to cause you. What's going to cause you to lack wisdom when you fall into trials and testing? Sometimes you don't know what to do. And the, the, the test that you have fallen into causes you to lack wisdom. And the word lack means to be destitute or emptied out. It's a person in deep poverty. You just don't know what to do. And, and James is saying that wisdom is required because you don't always know what to do. Even, even believers, even faithful Christians don't know what to do sometimes. So what do you do? James says, let him ask. Now, that translates a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not advice. He said, when you fall into a trial and you don't know what to do, you must ask God. Go to him. It's mandatory. It, it, it's, it's like Solomon who said in Proverbs 2, 2, that you give an ear that's attentive to wisdom or you incline your heart to understanding. And it's a present tense, meaning you keep on asking. 
You don't stop. You don't just say once, well, God help me with this. No, you keep on asking this. If you're tempted to be weak, you keep on asking for strength. If you're tempted to seek revenge, you keep on asking for mercy and forgiveness toward the person. When you're tempted to gossip, you keep on asking for God to keep your mouth shut. When you're tempted to lose your cool, you keep on asking for God to give you perseverance and patience. Let me mention knowledge to you. Knowledge is the acquisition of facts and information. And a lot of people have knowledge. In fact, the latest statistic that I read, and I don't know how they measure this, but this is what a lot of people say, that up until 1900, that knowledge doubled every 100 years. And then after the 1900s, knowledge began to double every 25 years. After the turn of this century, knowledge begins to double every year. And they claim that it won't be long until knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. That's a lot of knowledge, and we have a lot of stuff going on. Of course, we know that's also a sign of the end times because it says knowledge will increase more and more and more. But the fact is, a lot of people acquire a lot of knowledge. There are a lot of people smarter than me in a lot of areas. And we have at our fingertips the access to a lot of facts and data and knowledge. But now let's talk about wisdom. You see, just because you have a lot of knowledge doesn't mean that you have a lot of wisdom. Wisdom is the practical application of that knowledge. It's comprehending things through God's eyes. It's not theoretical. Wisdom is practical. Let's think of it in terms of driving a car. You got the meaning of it there. I was going to give you in a minute, but I didn't know it coming up at the same time. Doesn't matter. Let's think about driving a car. Some of you know a lot about cars. I mean, you know what a transmission is. You know what a carburetor, which by the way, they don't put in cars anymore. They put fuel injectors. And you may know about changing brakes and brake pads, and you may know a lot about that, but you may not be able to drive worth a flip. You have a lot of knowledge of the car, just don't know how to drive it. There's a lot of people like that in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> On the other hand, you may not know a carburetor from a fuel injector or a battery from whatever part of the car. And you may even think you need to change the air in the tires, which you don't, by the way. But you're a good driver. You see... Life is like driving a car. You, every now and then, someone's going to dart out in front of you, or you're going to come up on a pothole. Y'all know what a pothole is? <laughs> I, I figure we don't have any in Lubbock, so I didn't figure you knew what one was. Because you're a mature, experienced driver, you know how to protect the people in your car or avoid a collision. The trials and difficulties of a life are a lot like that. And we need wisdom to know how to respond to a trial so that we don't dishonor the Lord and we don't hurt our own testimony. Sometimes Christians seem to drive the car of faith into a ditch when a trial pops up. 
Sandra Carey said, never, make, never mistake knowledge for wisdom. One helps you make a living. The other helps you make a life. I put a, a definition up here. The ability to, to discern God's hand in human circumstances and apply heavenly judgment to earthly situations. You see, knowledge is in a man's head. Wisdom is in a man's heart. Knowledge comes from the earth, mankind. Wisdom comes from heaven, comes from God. And knowledge is, is how much of the world you have in your head. Wisdom is how much of God you have in your heart. And you can obtain knowledge without God. But you cannot obtain wisdom without God. Intelligence isn't the same. A, a, a pastor and a Boy Scout and a computer expert will all own a small plane. About halfway through the flight, the pilot came back through there and said, this plane is going down. And we have three parachutes and there's four of us. He said, I'm going to take one of the parachutes because I have a wife and three children. And he jumped out. The computer expert grabbed one. He said, I'm the smartest man in the world. The world needs me. He took one and jumped out. Pastor looked at the Boy Scout and he said, son, I've lived a good life and you're very young. So I want you to take the last parachute. Boy Scout said, just relax, Pastor. Smartest man in the world just jumped out with my backpack. And you know, a lot of people today are about that way. They can claim to know everything and do things that are just beyond belief to me. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Lean not, lean out from your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So the search for wisdom is on. We've got a lot of knowledge in the world, but no wisdom. What is the source of wisdom? I've already alluded to that. His sufficiency, verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. You'll never understand the need for wisdom until you understand this. Wisdom only comes from God. And if you want wisdom, you've got to know God. Job even asked the question. In fact, I mentioned him last Sunday when we began. He shows up in chapter 5 of James. But Job asked the question in Job 28, 20, from where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding? And he answers his own question in the same chapter. God understands its way and he knows its place. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, said it's Proverbs 2, 6, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And I've got some great news for you about God and wisdom. And when you ask of God, notice three things about God. First of all, He's a giving God who gives to all, gives to all. It's His nature to want to give to you wisdom. 
He's not going to withhold it. If you ask him, he's going to give you guidance and wisdom. Not only is God a giving God, he's a generous God. It says he will give liberally. Now that word liberally, or um, it, it means there's no secondary motive. It means without reservation. When you had children at home, some of you have little children, you have grandchildren, have you ever been watching them work on a project and you know how to do the puzzle or maybe they're working a puzzle or they're building a model or they're working, putting Legos together, whatever, and you, and you can see it. I mean, you see the instructions or you already know what to do and you see them trying and you're just dying for them to ask you. And when they ask you, yeah, let me help you, you're, you're really willing to help. That's the picture here. God, God wants to help, but he's not going to force it on you. You have to ask for it. Just like you don't force things on your kids. They ask for it. The third thing is that he's a gentle or a gracious God. It says, without reproach, or upbraideth not, the King James says. You've probably had this experience. When you've asked somebody for help, they may have said something like this. Well, I'm going to help you, but you know if you, hadn't done, if you had done what I asked you in the first place, you wouldn't be here right now. Don't you love that? Or something like, well, yeah, I've, you, you've left me no choice. I've got to help you, but you sure have put me in a difficult place, but I'm going to help you. Boy, doesn't that bless your heart? God's not that way. Laura and I have a 40-year-old daughter. I can't believe I have a 40-year-old daughter when I'm only 45. And Laura's 35. <laughs> Believe it or not, she has three children. We have three children, Rachel, Josh, and Amy. And between them all, we have eight grandchildren. Rachel has three girls. They all call us from time to time wanting some advice. Believe it or not, you never quit being a parent. But, you know, it's never crossed my mind if Rachel calls me and says, what can I, what should I do here, whatever, and all that? I, I would never go, well, now, Rachel, you remember back when you were this age and you did this and you were such a difficult kid and blah, blah, well, she wasn't, but I, you know, I could, you, I remember when you were 15 and you, you, well, I, and, but, but just remember, and I'm going to help you now, but you just remember what you did to us. I'm not going to do that. But a lot of people think when they come to God, well, I've made so many mistakes in my life. Why would he help me? I'll tell you why he helps you. Because he's forgiven you through Jesus Christ, and he loves you dearly. And God's not going to say, well, yeah, I'm going to help you, but you've asked so many times, or yeah, but you remember when you did this and all that. But James is saying, look, come to God. He's a giving, generous, gentle You've got nothing to be afraid of. But why is it 
that many times he's the last one we go to. It says, it shall be given. He will give you direction and advice. It doesn't say you will understand everything. It just says that he will guide you. I don't think you'll hear an audible voice from heaven. We would probably all drop dead if we did. But he will guide you through his word. He'll guide you through his spirit. He'll guide you through other godly people. But he wants to help. So we know we need it, and we know he's the source. How do we get it? How do we get wisdom? Some of it comes from experience. Some of it comes we learn, but, but most of all, we know it comes from God. So if it comes from God, two things we have to do in the steps for wisdom. First, you have to ask for it. <laughs> Pretty simple, huh? Prayer. A lot of people have a mistaken idea about prayer. We think that we have to pray in the King James English. We even put the EST on the verb, knowest, thou knowest, thou knowest all things. I'm not, I'm not being critical. But I want you to know that God understands what y'all means and fixing. Now, those people up north don't have a clue what that is. But God knows. Talk to him. Ask him. When we go to everyone else looking for wisdom, why not ask God? Because he said he's the source of wisdom, and God will answer you. Occasionally, you'll see articles in the paper about dogs that have attacked people. One particular case in Houston, it involved a little boy named DJ, and it didn't turn out tragic. In fact, DJ managed somehow to come away from it unharmed. And so a reporter asked him, how did you manage to come away unharmed? And you can almost see the serious expression on the little guy's face as he said, well, right in the middle of the attack, the Lord spoke to me. And the reporter said, really? What did God say? He said, run, DJ, run. <laughs> Why is it we don't ask, especially when we're in a trial? One little boy was asked if he said his prayers at night. He said, yes, I do. And they said, well, do you ever pray in the morning? He said, no, because it's only dark at night. We need to talk to the Lord. God, I don't know what to do, but I trust you. But here's the second step. It's one thing to ask. It's another thing to ask in faith. Now, I put on there ask in faith, not with faith faith. Now, here's what I mean by this. You got to have both, really, but there'll be some people who will say, you know, if, if God didn't answer your prayers because you did not have enough faith, it's like faith is something that you muster up inside, and boy, I got I to gotta muster it up, muster it up, muster it up, and then maybe God will give it to me. That is not true. 
To ask in faith means that I am walking in line with the Lord, and I believe who God is. I believe what he says. I believe he will answer. I believe that if I do what he asked me to do, he will answer me. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. James says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, in verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now, that word doubts, he uses double-minded there. It only shows up twice in the New Testament, one right here and one in chapter 4, verse 8. This word is so rare in Greek writing that most scholars or a lot of scholars believe that James invented the word or coined the phrase. It comes from two words, meaning one meaning two, and the other, or twice, and the other meaning soul, S-O-U-L, two-souled. Divided loyalty, a soul that is divided, it sometimes meant to try to face both directions at the same time. But you can't do it. You can't keep your eyes on the Lord and keep your eyes on the world at the same time. So when you ask in faith, you're saying this. Yes, Lord. Now tell me what to do. In other words, you say yes before God even tells you what to do. Oh, wait a minute. That's not, that's not normal. You're right. Most of the time we want the options, and then we decide if we're going to do it or not, don't we? <laughs> but to walk in faith means this. I believe God loves me. I'm his child. I have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. I can even call him Abba. I believe he wants what's best for me. I believe that he won't lead me astray. I didn't say he wouldn't lead me through some difficult times, but I don't believe he'll lead me to the place where it's ultimately going to harm me for eternity. He's going to guide me. I trust him. And if I don't have faith in him, it's an attack against his character. And so when you say, God, I believe you're God. I believe you own me. I believe you can do all things. I trust you implicitly. Yes. Now tell me what to do. Does that make sense? But that's not easy to do, is it? Because you have to trust him. And people that walk looking at both directions... They're sort of like multiple schizophrenic personalities in a spiritual sense, and it's a terrible thing to walk in that no man's land between doubting and faith. One of the reasons we don't come to God is because we don't believe He can do it. Or we don't believe that He cares. Or we don't believe that He will. And so we go to people that don't even know Jesus for advice. There's a lot of knowledgeable people in the world, listen to me, but if they don't know the Lord, if they've not been born again and know Jesus, don't ask them for wisdom. It only comes from God. They did an experiment 
I don't know when they did it. Some scientists took some mice, did an experiment. They put a mouse in a maze. They let the mouse work its way through the maze, and when it got to the end, there was a little door he could open, and when he opened the door, there was a piece of cheese. Every day, they'd let that mouse work that maze, and there'd be a piece of cheese outside that door. And it got to where that mouse could really run through that maze to get to that cheese. Then, just about the time he had learned how to run that maze, they changed something. They let him run the routine, and when he got through the door, this time they squirted him with a cold blast of water in his face. Well, he was confused, obviously, but the next day when they let him run the maze, they had cheese out there, so once again he was happy. But then they began to alternate it. One day, there'd be cheese. The next day, they'd squirt him with water. Next day, there'd be cheese. Next day, they'd squirt him with water. And they succeeded in basically giving him a nervous breakdown. After a while, he would not run the maze. He just sat there and tremble and shiver. He lost weight, eventually starved to death. The problem was he wanted the cheese, but he didn't want the water. He had a divided mind. And a, and a, a double-minded person does not know what he needs, but he'll ask God for stuff. He doesn't seek or know God's will, but he asks God for stuff anyway. He has an intellectual knowledge of God, but he doesn't have God in his heart. He says he loves God, but he loves money and riches. He says he listens to God, but he follows the ways of the world. He wants the good, but refuses to accept that which he thinks is bad. He goes to church on Sunday, spends the rest of his week like he doesn't even know what a church is. He says one thing, but he does the opposite. And James says, this person is unstable. He's like a cork in the water bobbing. He's like a wave driven by the wind. There's no stability in him. And when they fall into a trial, they just go to pieces. James says, you're going to have some difficult times in life. And some of them are going to cause you to lack wisdom. So, you go to God who wants to help. He's a giving God. He's a generous God. He's a gracious God. He doesn't condemn you. He'll say, let me guide you through this. Yes, Lord, which way am I going? Well, wait, wait, God, I don't like this way. Trust me. Well, Lord, how long have I got to do this? Trust me. You believe who I am? I know all things. I'm everywhere. I live in you. Trust me. You see, that's why it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because when you don't believe God, you've attacked his character. And God cannot lie. I'm not saying it's easy, folks. Trust me, I, I'm not saying it's easy. But if you don't know Jesus, you can't do this. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Listen, it, I'm going to make sure they edit out some things I've said today before they put this on television. Because <laughs> I said some stuff in the last service, and if you put 930 on there, y'all make a note of this. The part about dumb as a rock, I don't want going out on television. Y'all are wondering what I said. <laughs> I said, if you don't know Jesus, you're as dumb as a rock. Now, I said, I don't mean that ugly, but I don't understand. When it's, it's clear in creation that God is here, and people that deny God, you and I, we're just amazed at how far off of common sense they even go. I'm speaking in generalities. Why do you see things so clearly? Because Holy Spirit lives in you. It's pretty simple. And, and you have a love for God's Word. And, and when God says, listen, there's a few things I've got in here that you don't need to do. We shouldn't do them. And there's a lot of things that He gives us liberty to do. We should do them. But to trust Him with no doubt, God, I believe you're in control. I trust you with my life. Yes, tell me what to do. That's faith. That's in faith. I'm walking in faith, trusting God. But you can't do it if you don't have Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you don't have Him... You got religion. Religion will make you do crazy things. Religion, in the name of religion, people are innocent people are killed today in the name of a religion. But the love of God in your heart changes everything. And I wish I could tell you, and I wish it was this way. I wish when you accepted Jesus that whoever Scotty is in heaven just beam us on up right then. But he doesn't. We're still stuck on this sinful earth. But we have hope and our citizenship's been transferred and one day we're going home. Until that time, yes, Lord, tell me what to do. If you don't have Jesus, you can know him today. You do not have to be a member of Southcrest. You don't have to be a Baptist, but you got to know Jesus. And the only way to know him is to admit that you don't have him. First, you've got to realize that your sin has separated you from a holy, righteous, just God. And God still loved you and came after you and died for you. He came as Jesus, lived a sinless life. God put on him the sin of all of us, and he rose again, conquering death and sin and offers us forgiveness and acceptance. And when you come to him, asking him to forgive you and receiving Christ, he puts life into you. And then all of a sudden, it's like the power comes on. Your mind begins to think, hey, I can see. See the difference. And I want to live this way. And, and one of these days, we'll get a new body. 
If you don't know Jesus, you can give him life right now. Would you join me as we pray? You ask God to forgive you of your sin. You believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and God raised you from the dead. Romans 10, 9 says you'll be saved. Father, I pray for those right now who need to come to know the Lord. I pray that you let them see that wisdom begins right there by, by preparing themselves for eternity and preparing themselves for life right now. Lord, help us to be wise in a world that seems to be dumbed down because the world has taken its eyes off of you. I pray for those that need a church home. If this is the place you want them to be, then Lord, we open our arms to them. I pray, Father, for those that need to be baptized. The first statement of faith, the first act of obedience when you come to know Jesus. And I pray for those that right now have fallen into a trial this week, a testing, a difficult time. Let them know that you're right there, and if they'll just ask, you're there for the helping. You're, you're helping them. I pray you'll guide them. Please bring people to you. Lord, whatever commitment needs to be made today, you give them courage to do it, even now.